Tonight, the, the theme of these talks, I get to speak to you tonight and next week, and it's sort of a two-part mini-series on identity, and the question is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And this week, I wanna answer that question from the perspective of Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then, sorry, that was this week. And then next week, I wanna talk about that from our perspective because I think it's equally important that we stand our ground and we look to the face of God and we say, who do you say that I am? Because we can get our identity, our worth from all sorts of places and people and circumstances, but it is so important that we hear from God who it is that we are. And we're gonna do that together. So tonight, who do you say that I am? Who is this God? If I ask you this question, what is the gospel? How might you respond? How many of you guys have heard that word before? I don't wanna assume that everyone has heard this, the word gospel. Gospel literally means good news, okay, the good news. So in the, in the scriptures it says, you know, it talks about the gospel. And I think for a long time, I remember coming here and I was thinking I would go on deputation one year, even though I went to school back east, I was home for a year. And I remember sitting down and this older person was interviewing me and said, tell me the gospel. And I thought, Ugh, and I froze. So I'm like, is it a list of points? Is it a resume? Is it all the, all the things? Do I start in Genesis? Do I start in Matthew? I mean, I suddenly was overwhelmed that this seemed like such a complex question. I didn't know where to begin. And so I want to simplify it for you. Simply, the gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. So if someone were to ask you, hey, what is the gospel? This is how you might respond. Hey, let me tell you about my best friend. Now, when you tell someone about your best friend, do you give them a list of their accomplishments and their resume? You might say a couple things, where they grew up, but you're really gonna tell them stories, aren't you? You're gonna tell them stories about your best friend, things, shenanigans that you got into together, ways that they've spoken truth to you, things that you've done together, certain maybe um, characteristics or ways that they draw you out. You're gonna tell them stories about when you enjoyed yourself with them because the people who are your best friends always enjoy you and draw out who you truly are. The gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. It says in John 1.1, in the beginning before all time was the word, Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God himself. He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. Okay, that is like brain bending. Can we just all acknowledge? That is, my brain cannot comprehend what that just said. But what I do see there is that in the beginning before all time was the word, and that word, literally, the word, is logos. Now if I say, what's a logo? If, you, if I show you this, swoosh, hello, hello in the news, right? what is that? The logo, <laughs> logo, what is that logo? Nike. Nike, okay, right? And that sign, that's not just a picture, it carries with it a whole story, doesn't it? A whole story, I mean a whole mess of things comes up for you particularly right now, right? I do a swoosh and you're like, it's loaded. If I do this, what's that logo? Mickey D's, Mickey D's. Whole, whole story there, right? There's a whole story behind that logo. So when we look at the word, when we look at Jesus, he is the logos, he is a logo, he is an image that carries with him an entire story that begins before the beginning of time. The word here does not refer to the written scriptures, but to the eternal plan of God existing from the beginning in his divine counsel and foreknowledge and becoming manifested, literally putting skin on, to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh. My young life leader in high school would say, God in a bod. God in a bod. The word became flesh. 
There's a point at which in scripture, in Matthew 16, where Jesus is with his disciples. So this whole posse of guys that he um, began to, to meet with, and Jesus was in his early 30s, and most of these guys were late teens, maybe early 20s. And so he had this posse, all these guys that were walking with him that he had said, hey, come follow me. He saw something in them. They saw something compelling about this teacher, this rabbi, and they began to follow him. They began to spend time with him, listen to him, talk to him. And at one point, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, he says this, Jesus to his disciples says, who do people say the son of man is? And he's referring to himself. He always called himself. It was his favorite term, the son of man, because he was very clear that he was fully human, but as they were going to find out, he was also fully God. Who do, you, who do people say the son of man is? And the disciples respond, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. All these people are trying to pin down who is this Jesus, who is he? They're trying to figure out who he is. And Jesus responds to them, and you? Who do you say that I am? I know what everybody else says. Who do you say that I am? It is the most important question you will ever answer. Peter responds, you are the anointed one. In other translations, it says the Messiah, the one that's chosen, the savior, the redeemer, the one that we've been waiting for. He says, you are the son of the living God. Jesus responds, Simon, son of Jonah, your knowledge is a mark of blessing for you didn't learn this truth from your friends or from your teachers or from sages you've met on the way. You learned it from my father in heaven. There's something to be said for the fact that God in heaven will reveal to you who Jesus is. You must ask him. It says in Colossians 1.15, he is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. Simply, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you're asking this question, who is God? As I began that spoken word with, you say there's a God, who is this God? We wanna figure out who he is, we merely have to look at the person of Jesus. And as we follow him through the gospels, we look at him interact with all these different people. We see that he's interruptible, he's compassionate, he's kind, he sees people that are hurting and he enters into their pain. Wherever he is, death leaves, sickness leaves, demons leave. They cannot exist in his presence. It says that wherever he goes, there is light and darkness flees. As you follow Jesus around, you begin to see God revealed in a person. You begin to see how God thinks, how he acts, how he responds to people. It actually blows out a whole bunch of myths that a lot of religious people have about who God is. We merely have to look at the person of Jesus and we discover what God is like. I love this idea. So the spirit of God, I had someone say this, the spirit of God is audio-visual. Audio-visual. So as you walk around, it says in scripture that, that God is revealed through all creation. God created us with eyes and ears and a mouth and hands. I mean, he wants us to touch, feel, experience his love. This is not just a mental ascent that we come to a place like I did before I went to that concert. I'm like, oh, I believe in God. He's real. I raise my hand every Sunday at church because I'm like, did it take last week? I don't really know. But he actually wants us to experience his love. It's why he loves community. People of diverse cultures and nations and genders and all those things coming together to experience the fullness of who God is because each of us has a unique identity that when we come together, we reveal a more full picture of who God is because we were created in his image. 
So the more of us that come together, the more of us that share authentically and honestly who we are, the more we reveal of who God is and we discover the fullness of his character. Is that not an awesome promise? It makes me excited to gather with people and learn their different gifts and the ways that they communicate and how they experience God because it's gonna teach me something of a way that I have not seen the Lord. So how do we come to experientially know who God is? Because I think for a long time, I thought, oh, I just, you know, I open my Bible and I read it. And I remember people saying to me, oh my gosh, you know, the Bible, it's like, it's like living water. And I would open it and I would taste and I'd be like, more like dry sand. Okay, dry sand. This is not living water. I am parched. I don't understand. I didn't know where to go. Anyone has ever felt this way, right? You're gonna do your quiet times and check those off. You're like, this is not the experiential fullness of life that people have told me about, that they promised me. Now, I want you to understand this too, that the scriptures are inspired and beautiful. I love God's word. But if we look at God's word as the end point, if we open the Bible thinking in that we will find life, even Jesus said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life, but you refuse to come to me, the one who gives you life. The scriptures are a window through which to see Jesus, through which to relate to him, through which to understand him, through which to understand the tone of his voice and the cadence of how he walks so that you can recognize the spirit of God in the world and in people around you. Does that make sense? So the scriptures are a window through which to see Jesus. And so, and, and then the Holy Spirit, the spirit that God has given us is the spirit who makes Jesus real to us. So that spirit that I talked about that is not bound by flesh, right? It's not bound by skin. Somehow it's in us, but not a part of us. Somehow it's outside of us. That same spirit that was able to raise Jesus from that dead where he was, he was dead in a tomb, no heartbeat. His side was pierced, blood had poured out. And yet something about the spirit of God that was not bound by his flesh came in and mended him and breathed fresh life in him. And suddenly a heartbeat and breath began to come in and out of his lungs, and a man that was dead was raised. And it's that same spirit that Jesus, that God offers you and I to have dwell within us. It is a crazy promise. But it's the spirit in us that actually makes God real to us. And so what we're gonna do for the next few minutes is I'm gonna unpack um, a story in the scriptures that I love. I love, and it's the woman at the well. And you may have heard this story before. You may have never heard this story before. I don't assume that you know anything. There were a lot of times I would go to church and people would be like, oh, you've heard this before. And I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. Um, But here's the deal. If you have heard it before, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Jill Briscoe, she's this older woman, and she says, you know, the Lord is our shepherd. And he has this way of, of, you know, growing new grass in in familiar pastures. You know, you've eaten it the night before, and then you wake up in the morning, new grass, new grass. So, um, So I just want to encourage you, to encourage you that you may have heard this before. I trust that God, that the Spirit of God has something new for you tonight. So tune in and listen. And I'm gonna read it from The Voice, so perhaps a different version than you've heard before. It's written more like a play. You'll see, and I do love it. It's a little poetic in its tone. In a small Samaritan town known as Sychar, Jesus and his entourage, his posse, his disciples, stopped to rest at the historic well that Jacob, so back in history, right, Jacob, um, gave his son Joseph. So you have Jacob, you have Joseph, right, the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, and this is a few generations down, okay, but this is a well that he planted there generations before. It was about noon when Jesus found a spot to sit close to the well while the disciples ventured off to find provisions. From his vantage, he watched as a Samaritan woman approached to draw some water 
water. Unexpectedly, he spoke to her. Let's stop there. It's high noon. We're in the Middle East. How do you think the weather is right now? Quite hot. If you're going to gather water at a well, when would you go if it's a long walk from town? Not in the middle of the day, right? Okay, you might go in the morning or in the evening. So this tells us something about this woman. Either she's highly introverted or she doesn't wanna be at the water well. I don't know many women that don't like to go to the restroom together or travel anywhere together. So for some reason, she is isolated and ostracized. She has come in the middle of the day to draw water and it, and it says, unexpectedly, Jesus spoke to her. Jesus looks at her, would you draw water and give me a drink? And the woman turns. It's like he shoved her because he's a rabbi. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. These people did not relate with one another. And men were not to talk to women out in public. So in every way, Jesus has crossed. And a lot of people are like, wow, Jesus is amazing. Actually, he just gave her a social shove. Okay? And I love this about Jesus because sometimes he gives us a little shove to let our truth come out because he wants us to be truth tellers. We'll see this. So he says, she says this, I cannot believe that you, a Jew, this is a sassy woman, I like her. I cannot believe that you, a Jew, would associate with me, a Samaritan woman. Look at her drawing lines. Let me tell you exactly who you are and who I am and why this does not work. You, a Jew, would associate with me, a Samaritan woman, much less ask me to give you a drink. Jews, you see, have no dealing with Samaritans. Also, a man never approaches a woman like this in public. Jesus is breaking accepted social barriers with this confrontation. Side note, Jesus says this, you don't know the gift of God or who is asking you for a drink of this water from Jacob's well, because if you did, you would have asked him for something greater and he would have given you the living water. Sir, you sit by this deep well, a thirsty man without a bucket in sight. Remember, she's only seeing what she can see. How often do we see with our eyes, but we don't see with our eyes? We don't see with the heart that God has given us. All she's looking at is what she can see and what she can make sense of in a very literal sense. And Jesus is speaking in a way that is totally metaphorical and an otherworldly sense, a spiritual way of relating. She says this, sir, you sit by a deep well, a thirsty man without a bucket in sight. You're an idiot. Okay, where does this living water come from? Are you claiming superiority to our father Jacob who labored long and hard to dig and maintain this well so he could share clean water with his sons, grandchildren, and cattle? Kind of like, who do you think you are? Are you some megalomaniac that just thinks you're all that? I mean, she's just like, who do you say that you are? And I know a lot of people that ask us about God. Does he, like, why does he need our worship? Could it be that he doesn't necessarily need our worship, but it's as if he's a good father and he knows that the only clean drinking water is in his hands and he's like, come to me. When you open your mouth wide and you give me your time and your energy and your words, I fill your mouth. It says in the praises of his people, God resides. This is a good, good God. He says, so he responds. He says, drink this water and your thirst is quenched only for a moment. He's talking about the well, right? Drink this water, the water you can see. Drink this water and your thirst is quenched only for a moment. You must return to this well again and again. I offer water that will become a wellspring within you that gives life throughout eternity. You will never be thirsty again. And she is suddenly realizing how thirsty she is. What are you talking about? I come back to this well day after day alone. I am always thirsty. You're talking about something different. There's something welling up in her. She knows that he's speaking truth. She says, please, sir, give me some of this water so I'll never be thirsty, never again have to make a trip to this well. And Jesus says this, another shove. Then bring your husband to me. I think he said it in a really tender way, but he knew something and she knew something. She says, I do not have a husband. And he says, technically, you're telling the truth. 
but you've had five husbands and are currently living with a man you're not married to. She responds, sir, it is obvious to me that you're a prophet. You clearly know things about me. Our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, but this is interesting. As soon as it gets tender and close to the reality of her heart, what does she do? Theological detour. How often do we do that? The moment we get pinned down and it becomes personal and it's something that's painful and it hurts, we don't wanna do the work. We don't wanna go there. We're like, no, 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 Jesus. Tell me about this theological issue over here, right? And we distract and we avoid when Jesus is like, I wanna get the root of the matter because I wanna heal you. I wanna heal you. We've gotta go to that place that hurts because I'm a healer and I'm a savior and I'm gonna rescue you and it's gonna be straight through your fear and on the other side is life, straight through death. On the other side is life. Jesus says this. So she says, our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, but your people say that Jerusalem's the only place to worship, which is it, theological issue. He humors her, woman, I tell you that neither is so. Believe this, a new day is coming. In fact, it's already here when the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshipers. Your worship, you worship what you don't know while we worship what we do know. For God's salvation is coming through the Jews. The Father is spirit and he is seeking followers whose worship is sourced in truth. Be a truth teller. And deeply spiritual as well. Regardless of whether you are in Jerusalem or on this mountain, if you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship. He's talking about relationship. It's not about a place. It's not about a time. It's about a person and it's about relationship. And the woman responds, these mysteries will be made clear by he who has promised the anointed one. Truth bomb. The anointed one is speaking to you. The Messiah, the Christ. I am the one you have been looking for. The disciples returned at that moment and they gathered around him in amazement that he would openly break their customs by speaking to this woman. They're still religious bigots. That's really still where the disciples are at. They haven't gone through the transformation yet. Jesus is bringing them along the way of this. But he can't believe they would break their customs, but none of them would ask him what he was looking for. At this point, they at least respected him enough. They were like, he's doing something. I don't get it, but I'm watching. None of them would ask him what he was looking for or why he was speaking with her. The woman went back to the town, leaving her water pot behind. She doesn't need that anymore, does she? She has a new source. Where are your water pots? What are you trying to go back and fill with? Where are you drinking water that's continuing to make you thirsty? She leaves her water pot behind. She stopped men and women on the streets and told them about what had happened. She says, I met a stranger who knew everything about me. Come and see for yourselves. Can he be the anointed one? And we'll close here. Meanwhile, because one woman shared with her neighbors how Jesus exposed her past and present, notice that she's telling the story with joy. He's actually healed her. He's told her the truth and he's given her a new truth. He's healed her. She comes back with joy. He told me everything I ever did. I would think that would be a little bit scary, but she's known, she's seen, she's loved. And she goes back and, she said, and it says, many Samaritans heard and believed. The Samaritans approached Jesus and repeatedly invited him to stay with them. So he lingered there for two days on their account with words that came from his mouth. There were many more believing Samaritans. They began their faith journey because of the testimony of the woman beside the well. They began their faith journey because of the testimony. But when they heard for themselves from the mouth of Jesus, they were convinced the one they were hearing was and is God's anointed, the liberating king sent to rescue the entire world. How awesome is that? And so my question for you tonight, I'm just gonna stop um, there and we are going to do a quick 
listening moment. I believe I have three minutes and we're done. And we're just gonna do a listening moment and I'll read one scripture over you and then we'll gather back next week and talk about our identity. When we know who God is, well, I'll say it this way. When we have a wrong belief about who God is, we believe wrongly about who we are and that exerts itself in negative, like not good behavior. We often think we need to change our behaviors when really it's a belief issue. We don't believe rightly about God and so we don't really believe rightly about ourselves. That comes out in behavior. Are we making sense here? And so right now what I wanna do is go to the root of this and we're gonna ask God ourselves. Um, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna have you go ahead and close your eyes. And I trust that it says in scripture that the spirit has been poured out on all flesh, on all flesh, all of you, all of you here. It's like there's a radio wave in the room and the spirit of God can speak and he speaks in truth, only in truth. And he's the lie revealer. And so God, we just ask you right now, would you just bring to mind, you say that we have the mind of Christ, which means we can hear your thoughts in our thoughts. Would you just bring to mind for us, what is a lie that we have believed about you? It's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm alone, you're not with me, you can't provide. What is the lie that you have believed about God? That he wants to heal. Tell him your truth, that's confession. And I want you to imagine that you're writing that down on a piece of paper. And God, would you just give us a sense, an image of yourself just before us? And I want you to, use, we're gonna use our divine imagination, right? God has given us all parts of ourselves and said they're all good and they're all ways that he wants to communicate with us. And so in our imagination, we're gonna write that lie down that God has revealed. And I want you to imagine yourself handing that to Jesus. The true risen Lord Jesus, we hand you this lie that we have, we have believed somewhere along the way. Someone has handed this to us. We've caught it like a disease. And so God, we give it to you right now and we ask that you would make an exchange with us. That's what forgiveness is, where you swallow up death and you give us life. That was your whole purpose on the cross. And so we give you this lie and we ask God, what is your truth in exchange? What is it that you want us to know about you? I am truth. I am with you. I have never left you. I am your father, your mother, your friend, your counselor, your king, your savior, your healer. God, would you seal this truth in our hearts and tonight would we walk out of this room different because we know that we can hear from you, that your spirit reveals yourself to us and that we can search the scriptures looking at Jesus to tell us who you are so that we might know you and have a personal relationship with you and that that would affect the way that we have relationships all across our campus, the, where, the places that we work and everywhere else. God, there are people in this room that are leaders of businesses and families and churches and ministries. And so God, we thank you that you are gonna seal truth in them and as we return next week, you're gonna tell us who we are. And as we relate rightly with you and who you say you are, and we begin to walk in our true identity in terms of who you say we are, God, then we are gonna change the world because we will see people rightly as your created, beloved children. And so God, we thank you for this time, for the truth that you have spoken, for the truth of your word, and for your presence in this place. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.